huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off. Blog Talk Radio. everybody welcome to another episode of troy noons is an absolute podcast i'm your host as always john casillo and with me today is dan lyon hello everyone so syracuse has stuff going on it always feels like we have stuff going on but uh there's also other things going on in sports that we're definitely going to get to um, so I'll leave it up to you, Dan. Should we talk about Syracuse things first, or should we talk about other school things first? Let's do Syracuse stuff first, and then we can kind of do whatever we want afterwards once people have tuned out. Fair enough. <laughs> or not tuned out, hopefully not. <laughs> so the whole uh, spring game thing, how do you feel about that? Because I know Scott Schaefer announced on Tuesday – um, at the media session, kind of following practice, that it wasn't going to be a real game. Uh, it was more just going to be a scrimmage. I mean, no, you don't have to pay to get into the spring game, but do you feel gypped as a fan if you were someone going to the to the spring game or at least planning to until that point? Do you suddenly feel gypped like you're not going to go at this point? Um, I mean, I'd probably still go. If I was going, I'd probably feel a little more upset about it. I'm kind of of two minds with the spring game. Like, A, I kind of get, you know, the team is a little banged up. They don't probably they probably don't have the, the numbers to make a game look really good. They don't want to give away stuff, which is kind of kind of silly when you have a game in Rhode Island in the first week. But I also think, you know, this is a program that kind of desperately needs to market itself and get itself out there to the community and to be very flippant about, you know, putting forth a, an entertaining um, product even in spring when, when you know, probably most of the fans wouldn't go no matter what. Uh, you know, I feel like they could do a better job of it. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, no, no one shows up anyway. It's a spring game. I get, I get why they don't. It's not, you know, it, I don't think we should feel bad about looking at, like, in Alabama where the, they sell out Bryant Denny versus an empty dome for the spring game. It's just a different culture. So it's, it's a little disappointing. I would have liked to watch it to see new wrinkles, especially with the new offense going in. But, I think by, you know, two weeks from now, we probably won't care. I think that's fair. And, and, and I think you're right. Like, the big thing that I think a lot of us on the site were, were harping on was the fact that, you know, we really would like to see at least pieces of this offense uh, in place, and especially given the fact that, you know, Terrell Hunt seemed to be speaking uh, 
very in very complimentary tones about how the offense was treating him, how it was treating the rest of the team. Everybody seemed to be in these uh, these this much better mindset. I mean, uh, I, I was equal parts happy and and disturbed by what I heard from Hunt yesterday. Um, not in terms of Hunt's own play or mindset or anything like that, but uh, when he brought up George McDonald, um, our former offensive coordinator. I mean, what were your take? What was your kind of take on? on what he said about McDonald. Did you, did you find anything surprising? Were you just stunned to hear it finally like confirmed by someone that the team literally had no idea what it was doing for parts of last year? Um, I don't think anyone that watched the team should find it too surprising considering that's kind of what it looked like. Um, I mean, you, there were times when the offense looked great. <laughs> um, even in the same game, it looked great. Some that, like that Maryland game, they put up all the yards in the world and they just couldn't score. So, it didn't look like something that, you know, was like, – there seemed to be some thought to it. It just it, – it did seem like uh, right from the get-go, like Madonna was trying to force something that wasn't there with that team. And I know there's kind of a, a difference in philosophy of whether or not you should tailor your system to the, to the roster or the roster to the system, but it seemed like such a, such a mismatch in this case that it was kind of doomed. And the fact that we couldn't make adjustments to – find, like, a better fit is probably uh, pretty damning of McDonald's, but um, no, I wasn't surprised by any of it. It, it did seem, uh, I mean, that's kind of what we thought. It just, but, you know, it's not, I don't know, I, I'm not sure if I should feel, you know, if I should be happy to hear it or relieved or angry or what, but I, I'm more interested in seeing what the team looks like this year, because last year we had an idea. It didn't really pan out, but we kind of knew what the, the philosophy was going to be, and this year, like, we, we have some whispers and and the players have said all the right things, but we still haven't seen this offense, and we don't have a lot to go on because Lester is kind of an unknown. So um, that's kind of one of the things I feel like we're missing out on in spring, but hopefully they'll at least give us a decent look with this scrimmage, even if it's not like a full-game situation. Agreed. So what do you think, um, in, in terms of how much of a, of a leash we kind of give Lester? Um, it seems that the fan base is divided a little bit into two different camps. One is Unequivocally, he's he's right until he's he's proven wrong, and, and then there's the other side of things. Of well, I didn't really like what I saw at the end of last season. I don't really know what he did to earn himself, you know, an unequivocal vote of confidence um, from Schaefer uh, going in 2015, and and people want to see something because you know his excuse last year was you know it wasn't his system. Uh, what camp are you in in terms of Lester? Or are you somewhere in the middle? I mean, I think we were both kind of in agreement, um, especially when, when Lester was named off as a coordinator and, and we learned that he was going to be staying through this coming season no matter what. Um, we didn't really understand why that was foregone and whatnot, but we've kind of, we're kind of past that now in the timeline. Like, Lester is going to be here this year. It is what it is. So, hopefully he figures it out. I mean, I would like – I've been impressed with Lester and his – uh, his demeanor in dealing with the press and the things he said, obviously last year um, didn't work out on the field, but th- I think his excuse, while, you know, obviously was ugly, um, there are some legitimate pieces to it. Uh, it wasn't his system. He was playing with a third-string quarterback, et cetera. Um, so I- I'm pretty willing to give him a fresh start. That being said, if, if after like four games, this team still can't find any way to store I think it's going to be pretty justifiably ugly um, coming from the fan base. 
No, I, I think that's spot on. Um, and, and, you know, to kind of quell any thoughts that, that I'm being super negative about Leicester, I know that it, it seems, again, that there is definitely a split. Is that removing the, the, the annoyance with, you know, just extending him for no reason, or not no reason, but extending him with little resume to, to back it up, um, I, I think at this point, what, what my big focus is is just show me something. And I think that's where um, a lot of people on that side of the fence are really annoyed by, by this, the scrimmage aspects of the game, the fact that Schaefer doesn't put any stock into the spring game. I mean, people read too much into the spring game a lot of times, and I think that that's a fair critique. But I also think um, that sometimes people put too little stock into it as well. And I think that's kind of where, uh, where Coach Schaefer is um, – on the scale. He just doesn't seem like it matters much when, again, it's, it's the PR side of things that as much as we blast Dr. Gross and, and that whole regime, that there is a certain amount of, of PR that, that goes with college sports, and I think this is a big part of it that we're kind of swinging and missing on right now. Yeah, and, and it does seem like Schaefer has gotten shorter and shorter with, with the outside Um which I don't totally get. I mean, when he got hired, everyone was pretty much for him, especially after his first press conference. Um, we've given him an offensive coordinator. It just seems like he's kind of seen the ugly side of, of how he, you know, what losing looks like at this point, where everything was great after he went 7-6. and six. Um, and, and with the Lester stuff, I mean, we, we talked about it pretty lankily uh, back during the season. But, like, if you, if you don't – and I – this is just the first team that comes to mind. I don't mean to bring it up because it's a, a kind of a rival. But um, when Kyle Flood at Rutgers faced criticism um, and needed to win this year, he went and hired a really experienced offensive coordinator. And it ended up only being a one-year thing, but they ended up having a pretty nice year. They blew out North Carolina in that bowl game. Um, you know, I think for them it was a successful first Big Ten year. And Schaefer is facing, I mean, he hasn't been around quite as long, but he's facing kind of a similar situation where he really needs to get the offense going there's a lot of question marks on the offense uh, across the board, and he kind of just stuck with the very safe play um, when there was really no risk of like losing. Like Lester wasn't exactly in the position where he was going to go get a new, another offensive coordinator job. I don't know how many quarterback coach jobs he would have run right off out of Syracuse. So I don't know. I hope Lester works out. I hope it was like a total diamond in the rough hire, and we end up, you know, having a pretty decent offense next year, but still can't help but think that we could have done more and we went with a very uh, conservative approach when some aggressiveness in fixing the offense was very warranted. Yeah, I, I think that that's completely true. I think that um, while, while there's a certain amount of continuity that needed to be established for Lester and that to keep um, the majority of, of a decent recruiting class together, um, at the same time, I think I think putting him back into a quarterback role um, and bringing in somebody. I mean, we've all said it, like, especially now after the NCAA sanctions and Seaver seems like he's ready to clean house um, at Syracuse, it, it definitely doesn't seem that, that Schaefer has much of a rope to go anything but six and six or better. Um, and yet it feels like sometimes where we're kind of um, making personnel moves and especially with staff that are, are content with, you know, a, a, another building year. And, and despite the, the turnover on the roster, that may indicate that this could be another rebuilding year. Um, you know, Schaefer and companies aren't going to get that 
that type of leeway from the administration, from whoever comes in as a new AD, and from the fan base. Yeah, I mean, Schaefer needs – his situation has gotten, I think, more pressure-packed than it was before the NCAA sanctions handed down, and that might not be fair. And maybe, you know, I know a lot of people think the coaches all deserve four years, which I think is kind of becoming um, – it might not be untrue, but it's becoming kind of an outdated uh, time frame for coach for giving people a reasonable amount of time. Um, coaches just don't last that long now. Um but, yeah, I mean, we're going to have a new athletic director. We have a new president already that didn't hire Schaefer. Um, and odds are, if there's any reason for them to believe that they need to make a move, they're going to want to make their mark, and hiring a football coach um, is going to be a big deal. I, I'm, it won't be quite as big a deal as hiring a basketball coach, which it seems like this uh, Mass Athletic Director might have to do. But, I mean, it's a football coach decision probably going to be the first thing on the on the table, whether or not they keep Schaefer um, or get someone new. Hopefully Schaefer makes it so that it doesn't need to even be a decision. Right. I mean, and, and this talk, and this is where I think there is kind of a schism within the fan base, is that this talk doesn't necessarily mean that any of us or anyone else is, is against Schaefer and wanting to fail. To be honest, I don't. I don't really enjoy watching this team fall flat on its face for much of the last decade. Um, but, you know, at this point, like you mentioned, um, you can't give somebody four years. I mean, we all knew Greg Robinson was in a lame duck fourth year, um, unless he somehow went like 10 and two, there was absolutely no way he was coming back. So it seemed useless to keep him around, um, for a fourth season and then not making comparisons to Robinson either, just pointing out that, you know, if he doesn't get it done this year, then then the fourth year is a lame duck. And, And what's the point of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I enrolled in Syracuse knowing the football coach was going to be fired. Like, I, it was a foregone conclusion. I knew that when I – like, I knew that the spring before. So, there's no reason to be in that situation. Uh, and Schaefer's far from that. He's had a, a bowl year. Last year, so many – I mean, we, we complained, but so many things went wrong that were beyond his control. So, he absolutely deserves to be there this year. I still have some hope, and I, I think there is – I think he can be a very good head coach. Um I don't know that he's put himself in the best position to do that, but we'll find out. I mean, he's going to have to, to sleep in the bed now that he's made it. Agreed. Um, so shifting focus a little bit from, from the coaching staff um, to personnel, uh, there's been a lot of stories about some people that are surprised in camp and people um, that really haven't been able to get on the field due to injuries mostly. But um, who's your biggest surprise uh, coming out of camp thus far? Uh, I, know, I know there's a lot of names that have been thrown around out there lately. Yeah, it, it seems like we've gotten some pretty positive uh, things. I really like hearing good things about Alvin Cornelius. I thought it was very strange that he didn't make an impact last year after he was kind of the best receiver down the stretch in 2013. Um, he was looked really solid for most for the, for the last like three or four games of that season. He was a dose last year, so hopefully he. Uh, that translates down to the field, and, and we have a pretty good lucky punch of him and, and Steve Ishmael, who I continue to believe is going to be a, a star-level player. Um, and then we've, we've heard some good things about the offensive line. I, I don't. It's going to be the first year in a while where we don't have an NFL-caliber left tackle, which is kind of scary. But at the very least, we do have a veteran there in Ivan Coy who's been up and down, but has been a quality starter at times. Um, and so it, that, that still remains a good question, but... It is a nice 
to hear some encouraging things. And then the Lucas and Diego's uh, news is awesome. Good for him. Um, and I do, I'm do. i interested to see what he can do as a, as a pass-rushing defensive end because we do need help there. Speaking of Luke, I, it is really wacky how he ended up with two more years of, of eligibility. I mean, I'm happy about it. I think it really helps out. Uh, what is some stunning lack of depth um, at the position uh, for us this year. But, but again, really, really weird uh, that he was given two more years of eligibility. He's pretty much going to be on campus until he's like 25, 26. Yeah, it, it makes sense if you look at the full timeline because it doesn't seem like he ever really became part of the program at, um, at Nevada. So his clock probably didn't start as quickly as we all thought it did. Um, it is a little enheartening to see that the NCAA – actually does, I mean, at least in this case, maybe it's a recent thing, but they actually have started to, like, look at the full thing to really uh, do a, a quality audit and decide how many years someone should have back because they admit it, they only asked for one, and Luke probably didn't even think he could possibly get two. So, uh, you know, the first nice thing the NCAA has done for us in years, but, um, it, you know, it's good news. If only just because it gives, gives him a chance to have a career, which he, to this point, has been so uh, halted. Right. Um, so I guess outside of Luke, um, and I know that you had mentioned, uh, mentioned Cornelius, who, who I think, like you said, was just woefully underutilized last year. But again, that speaks to, uh, you know, what we found out from, from Hunt yesterday is that a lot of guys just really weren't used properly, weren't plugged in properly. The system didn't fit. Um, and that's why you have a guy like Cornelius who's kind of floating out in, in, in the middle of nowhere and not actually being used. Um, to me, I, I know uh, Nate Mink had that great story up today um, about Aaron Roberts. Um, I know Caden Samuels, another young guy who really seems to be making his mark in camp. I, I think if Roberts can come on the way it sounds like he is, I, I think that um, some of my concerns about the offensive line are definitely going to be alleviated. Obviously, the depth issues don't go away, but in terms of um, – you know, just having a, a start, a real power conference caliber uh, starting five on the offensive line, I think he definitely helps out quite a bit there. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was thinking about that article, and I couldn't remember who it was they were talking about. Um, I read that this morning. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like every year we've had, like, one of these guys that's kind of emerged. Last year was John Miller, the before Nick Robinson kind of came out of nowhere. So, it does seem like we're doing something right, um, developing offensive linemen, uh, even with some turnover on the staff the last few years. Um, so maybe, you know, hopefully that is a, a place where the concerns are alleviated because we certainly don't need them, because, uh, considering so many other question marks on the team. And, and what's the, I guess, there's a lot of question marks around these different position groups. What's the one position group that, while we're not going to see a lot out of them in the spring game, what is the one group that really needs to do a lot this offseason to prove something to you going into summer camp anyway? Uh, defensive backs, they just need to be decent for the first time. Like, I think we've had two decent years of defensive back play in the last, like, six or seven, um, probably the two pinstripe bowl years. So that team, I know they lose a lot of talent. Uh, especially Brandon Reddish, who had a fantastic season last year. He was like the lone bright light in that in that group. And then uh, Eskridge, obviously, who is uh, testing in the NFL draft waters and seems to be getting like his reviews are all over the place. So I hope for the, I hope the best for him. 
Um, but you did, and that's a group that just last year we we saw a lot of injuries, like we did everywhere else. Um, we didn't quite get the season I thought we would from Julian Wiggum. Um, I just you know it's it's always a question, and, and it's a hard place to play, but. Uh, that would go a long way towards helping out a uh, defensive front, which I think has some talent but doesn't have a, a bona fide superstar like a Chandler Jones or an Arthur Jones that's going to kind of hold the line and, and really make an impact by himself. Right. And I think overall you're right, and that was the same exact uh, same exact group I was going to say. Um, while there's depth issues in other places, um, I think the big problem, just on from the standpoint of who the starting four are, what the capabilities are, uh, is the secondary. I know uh, Hunt shared yesterday that um, he was kind of giving them some tips as far as when they were teasing coverage and, and uh, you know, just giving away kind of what they were going to do, which I think um, is, is part of uh, some of our issues with more of the elite teams. I think, it, was it last year that Florida State had said that, or, or there was somebody who had said that, Syracuse was basically tipping its coverage and, and doing a lot of things uh, to not help itself um, last I think year. It was, I think it was Jameis. Mm. I could be wrong. I mean, and, that, and that makes perfect sense uh, based on, you know, just how badly a lot of our guys are beat. I mean, we, we still laugh about the stupid statement um, regarding, you know, we can cover anyone uh, before we faced off with, with Maryland and, uh, you know, summarily got destroyed. Uh, not because of you know anything the defense did, however, but things that the offense couldn't do. Um, I, I think in general, like it's going to take a lot of work to get to a better place. Um, and, and I think everyone in the fan base, outside of that one lone defender that showed up oddly um, after the season, to, to say that the secondary did very well and stunned listeners and commentators everywhere. Uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, the secondary has a lot of work to do this offseason. Um, I really wanted to see what they could do against um, a quarterback we see every day in practice um, during the spring game, but because we're not going to see that, uh, we're just going to have to put some some faith in, uh, in some growth and, and in just a bunch of uh, maturity on the part of their play um, going forward. For sure. All right, and uh, from personnel to our last uh, football topic, um, scheduling. A pet peeve of mine, of several others on the site. Um, your thoughts on, on SU adding Holy Cross today? Uh, it's, it's fun. I'm cool with that. Um, I do think the timing is a little weird because usually those are the last kind of names you schedule, but um, I don't mind having it in the books just because obviously this – uh, I mean, it's probably it's kind of a previous administration at this point, but um, clearly Syracuse historically has had a hard time getting the schedule filled up in a timely manner. So why not just even take that, you know, that should, could be pretty easy to find Holy Cross game and just get it done with. So I'm cool with it. Uh, hopefully this is the start of kind of a run of scheduling uh, news. Like I feel like that usually happens, like when you get one new uh, football uh, scheduling story, you get a bunch of them in, in the course of a couple of weeks. So hopefully, uh, SU getting out ahead of things now um, with the changes in the athletic department. 
Yeah, I know a bunch of people pointed that out today, and, and, and I think that, that that is the hope. But I, I am skeptical knowing how things have been bogged down um, with all the changes and, and, and things like that. I'm definitely interested to see if it becomes the case or if this was something that was negotiated before everything started shaking out. Um, I, I think my big pet peeve uh, on the uh, on the article I wrote up on the site today was not about the fact that we scheduled it. I think Holy Cross is a fine opponent to schedule, I think. Um, you know, it's close by SDS team that should be handily. Um, I, I think where where my hesitation comes in is, is in part what you said that, you know, these are easy guests and we don't really need to book these very quickly. Um, I think it's more in the concern that, well, we still have an opening for 2016 um, available uh, of the non-SES variety. We, uh, you know, we have a bunch of of open dates still for, for 2017 and 2018. Um, and then, I mean, it's great that we have two for 2019 already, but based on the way these things move, I mean, we've had a 2020 date set for, you know, years with Penn State. We've had a 2025 date with Notre Dame set for six to seven months already. Like, I guess I, I would just love to see us complete future schedules the same way other schools do. It doesn't need to be like an SEC team or, um, you know, like a lot of the Pac-12 and Big Ten teams that, that, that Big 12 too, they kind of set themselves up for, for five to seven years in, in advance. But I, I'd love to see the 2017 and 2016 schedules done before the end of this season, uh, if I had my way. Yeah, and it shouldn't be too much to ask, considering, like you said, all these other power programs are getting their schedules done. I don't know why Syracuse should be an outlier. Everyone needs to play everyone. I mean, someone, so... It shouldn't be uh, uh, should, there. There shouldn't be a reason why Syracuse has to lag behind every year. Right. I mean, and this is this, this is ten years of of this practice now. It does again. It doesn't really make much sense. Um, we put ourselves at a disadvantage. Uh, I mean, the Missouri game in, in parts avoidable, in parts not avoidable. Um, back in 2012, um, I, I think that. You know, last year's non-conference schedule was difficult by design and, and did not do us any favors, especially amidst injuries. Um, at this point, we're, we're just kind of looking at, again, it's, it's Syracuse at times runs themselves a bit amateurish when it comes to, you know, just taking care of the things that power conferences, conference teams need to. Like, if Wade can schedule out to 2027 and get a lot of those games done, if Vanderbilt can do the same, and these are programs that we historically are better than and even recently are <laughs> equal to or better than. Um, I, I think that, that we can definitely get it done because I don't want to be stuck playing two FCS teams or, or some power conference teams. I know um, in general uh, there aren't a lot of teams left out there. Uh, we have our requirement for, for power conference teams set already, so now let's start you know, grabbing up these MAC teams and Conference USA teams and advantageous recruiting areas before other schools do, because there aren't enough of those to go around for all the schools that need to schedule them. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, I was thinking maybe the reason that Vandy and, and Wake are all booked up is because people need to fill their power conference requirements and there's their uh, popular dancing partners. But uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, you have a chance to actually add something to your program with the specific lesser conference team that you play. And we've been over a bunch on the site. Um, 
like just it, common sense in recruiting. Going if you're going to have to play at you know a lower conference team, playing in Florida is way more beneficial than playing in uh, you know playing in in uh, California or something. Yeah, <laughs> like you want to strategically do this if you can, um, even if it's just a slight advantage. Why not take it? Uh, and college football is kind of weird in that you get to pick your own schedule for the most part. So, uh, especially for a team like Syracuse that is is so on the you know walking a fine line in terms of relevance and uh, being like a team that people actually know and care about. There's no reason not to give yourself an advantage uh, by getting these things done quickly. So very, very, very true. Um... I think that's a good place to, to call halftime unless you had anything else to add on the scheduling point. No, uh, just hopefully that uh, the Holy Cross kicks off a, a string of these and we can get some uh, get some things done here. Yep, I, I would note that, and this was added in the, in the Holy Cross piece too, is that there's only about five teams that we can really play left for 2016, at least for the week we want them, um, you know, week two or week four um, of that season. I know Old Dominion is one that has definitely been brought up a couple times. And Georgia State's off the, the table now, as is uh, Army. So, again, definitely, definitely hoping that that's kind of in that string of announcements uh, very soon. Yeah, you you would really hope. <laughs> Especially uh, <laughs> if uh, you have those other guys already getting But if I didn't realize that Georgia State and Army were already taken. Yep, they were taken. I know Wake Forest grabbed Army, and uh, Cincinnati grabbed Georgia State. So we are uh, ah. quickly losing teams. Yeah, get on it. Anonymous <laughs> athletic directing team. But refocusing beer. What are you? Uh, what are you drinking lately, Dan? Um, not too much. I did have a chance to, and, and by chance, I mean totally stumbled into it, uh, a six-pack of um, Ithaca Flower Power, which I know is one of your favorites, uh, just happened to be sitting at the local Dwayne Reed here, which surprised me because, you know, that, Dwayne Reed does have some decent, like, craft beers. Usually they're more local things, um, New York City things. But, yeah, a couple six-packs sitting there, so I picked one up. Hadn't had it in a while really good IPA. Um, I'm sure people uh, that are listening from upstate are, are pretty familiar, but yeah, if you want, it's, I think it's a good uh, IPA if you don't normally drink it and you're trying to get into them because it does have like those really flavorful uh, kind of light or like, I mean, it's called flower power for a reason, but they are almost like floral notes there. Um, so yeah, enjoy that. I have a couple Less waiting for me, so I might go finish those up to tonight or tomorrow. Well done. I'm very jealous because I have not had Final Power. It's probably been about a year for me. But yeah, next time I go, I'm going to try. Over. Yeah, by all means. Or I will be in New York in June. I would go grab some at the local drinking establishment. Oh, well, that'll have to happen. Yeah, I'll keep you updated. I'll be there, courtesy of work. Thanks, work. 
So for me, drinking wise, um, drinking a decent amount lately. Let's see what we got. Uh, had a Golden Nugget IPA from Toppling Goliath, which I was just making sure I didn't talk about that last week. Um, I always had the latest Enjoy By um, for the most part. So I got some have uh, Stones Enjoy By 420, uh, a little more dank than normal, which, uh, which is obviously by design um, on their part. Um, a 077XX from uh, Carden Brewing down in New Jersey. Uh, that was sent out to me in a trade. Uh, had Allagash's Interlude. Uh, it's, a, it's a subtle kind of uh, sour bread. Uh, for those who are into sours, uh, definitely worth checking out um, if you have a sec. Also got to enjoy, uh, this has been one I was looking for a little bit, um, the uh, Fata Morgana from uh, Omnipolo um, over in Sweden. Uh, they have a really nice double IPA that I didn't even know they bottled and happened upon it at uh, one of the local liquor shops. So definitely, definitely glad uh, they located that. And uh, that's all I drank this past week. I'll be in Indianapolis all weekend, so I will be uh, chasing down some uh, some great local brews um, at some of the, the bars and, and breweries down uh, by the stadium. Very nice. Yep, had to do my usual go on to beer advocate, find out what people would recommend. Luckily, there's plenty of drink options right over at the stadium, which is increasingly not rare, which I'm a big fan of. But moving past beer in Syracuse, uh, Final Four. As I just mentioned, there's a, there's a couple of big basketball games going on starting Saturday um, over in Indianapolis. Uh, we won't get into the uh, political issues going on there. Uh, I have my thoughts about them. I'm sure you do again as well. But rather than kind of uh, get into these spidery uh, places that that conversation can get to, uh, <laughs> I think we'll stick to the game um, for the time being. Um, so starting with uh, the Michigan State-Duke matchup, I guess, first of all, how surprised are you to see Michigan State there? And second of all, do you think they have any shot to beat the Blue Devils? Um, surprised? I mean, if you had told me at the beginning of the tournament that Michigan State was going to make a Final Four run, I would have been surprised, but put it off by making some, like, random Tom Izzo joke about how he always does this. And, uh, no, I mean, I thought they were going to be Louisville, and they did. So, I'm not that I'm, – I'm, I'm, I should be more surprised than I am, but he's just – so good in the tournament, and they always do so much better than they ought to. Um, do they? And yeah, I think they have a chance to beat Duke. Uh, Duke's playing incredibly well, though. Um, they they're playing defense in this tournament that is so far above what they played for most of the season. And I don't know if that's just because that is like it's put for them. Um, that does happen when you have three of your four best players as freshmen, but. Uh, they're they're pretty scary if they're defending well. Uh, Justice Winslow has turned into like this lightning bolt of a player. You don't really know what to expect from him. He doesn't have like elite skills, but he's just so athletic and so high energy. He's been a real difference maker. Um, so Duke's going to be a solid favorite. I agree with that. Um, but no, I mean if Travis Trice wants to continue to to be awesome and 
Brandon Dawson continues to play well, and Michigan State just has more than its own magic. I mean, they're, it's certainly not an unwinnable game for them. Agreed. I think you're right there on the on the Duke point. Defensively, I think that's really been the difference. They've been able to score all season, but this is just kind of a a huge, huge step up for them. Um, I mean, even Okafor, while obviously not like rave worthy on defense, definitely seemed like he's he's at least put a few things together there um, throughout these these first four rounds of the tournament. Um, I don't think Michigan State's going to win, but then again, I didn't. I mean, I thought Michigan State would, would pull upsets, and they did, and I, I did have them in the Elite Eight in my own bracket. But um, I, I think that it might be a little too much for them at this point. Um, Duke's just so immensely talented. This really is a team that, uh, you know, we all thought this has, that they had the potential to win it all. Um, they were definitely the top three to five teams in the country the entire year, um, and, and this is them kind of delivering on that, never mind that they're bracket wasn't really that difficult um but they're a worthwhile squad um and they've definitely proven themselves to get there um despite my earlier comments um, so I, I see duke winning this game i think that the offense is just too much i think Izzo is a great coach and i think coach k is a great coach and uh so when you have two great coaches like that sometimes it just comes down to raw talent and uh you know, it's, you're going to be hard-pressed to find more talent on the floor uh, than Duke has unless your name is John Calipari and you happen to coach a team named Kentucky. For sure. And it's kind of um, – it's funny because we everyone points to Coach K, uh, Calipari as the, like, main proprietor of the one-and-done, but Coach K has been right behind him the last couple of years. And this year is kind of, I mean, this is a very Kentucky-ish Duke team. He has three all-world freshmen. Two of them are pretty much locked into the NBA draft. I don't know what Tyus Jones' NBA future really is, but he's, uh, I mean, if you enjoyed Tyler Ennis last year and you don't mind getting uh, down and dirty with some Duke basketball, uh, he's he's pretty close. He's uh, incredibly steady. Not nearly as much asked uh, of him to do, but he's just a rock-solid player who just hits big shots and, doesn't make terrible decisions ever. Um, and then Okafor is just, you know, he, he is what he is. He's by far the most polished post player in the country. Uh, there's a reason why he will end up being a top two pick no matter what. Uh, and, you know, our talked about Winslow. He's the spark plug. So uh, they they're definitely uh, have an edge in talent. It's so, you know, that team has more, more I guess, raw experience. But, you know, there's been – they played in the hardest league, in my opinion, all year. Uh, they made it out uh, with a one seed, and, and they've had some interesting matchups. I mean, that Utah game wasn't uh, a cakewalk, and Zach is a really good team. So I think uh, I think Duke has a definite edge here. I wouldn't bet against them, but, I mean, Tom Izzo just never surprises me. So if efficient State pulls something crazy, I'm not going to say it was impossible. No, I'd agree. I think if there's any coach that could – find their way here that, you know, doesn't coach at UConn, it would be uh, be Tom Izzo. I mean, and granted, while I think last year's UConn team was entirely lucky, as was the one a couple years before, uh, this Michigan State team is immensely talented, was immensely talented all season, and just figured out how to keep healthy, get everybody clicking, um, come the tournament, and that's the difference between, uh, you know, those two types of runs. 
Um, so, I, you know, again, I commend that group uh, for Michigan State. I think Duke might be too much for them. Um, but on the other side, uh, that's really where the most compelling matchup happens, um, and that's Wisconsin-Kentucky, uh, two teams that are uh, different styles, different makes, and, and overall are just present some very interesting uh, juxtapositions for, for the state of, of college basketball right now. Um, and I'll let you kind of lead off, Dan. Um, just kind of, what did you think about Kentucky's game against Notre Dame? Um, and and what, how do you think it's going to affect what they do against the Badgers on Saturday? Um, Kentucky may be really uncomfortable because I was at a bar screaming uh, and acting like a Notre Dame fan for two hours. So I didn't really enjoy that, but that game was awesome. Um, I did not think Notre Dame was in a put of a fight like that. And the crazy part is, I mean, we, we talked last week, like I, I thought there was a path to Notre Dame to win that game, and it was to shoot like crazy from three, um, not really let Kentucky get out and, and overpower them athletically. And instead, Notre Dame didn't shoot that that well. I mean, they did fine, but they really played a pretty straight-up game with Kentucky. Um, were, were, they were awesome on, on the boards, which you need to be against a team that big. And they just played incredible defense, and Kentucky outlasted them because they're more talented and because Carl Anthony Towns is impossible to deal with. But it was a really impressive performance by them. Um, Wisconsin... I think matches up a little better uh, just on paper, uh, ignoring the, the the game that Notre Dame gave them. I think that uh, Frank Kamins provides some really interesting challenges, although he does need to stretch them out. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to do too much damage if he's kind of caught in the, in the trees, but he's going to have to hit some jumpers. Um, Sam Decker is probably the one guy who can kind of play, uh, play with them athletically, but they're going to have to hit shots. I mean, you saw what they did. In the second half against Arizona, they shot impossibly well. Um, so I don't think they have to shoot like 70% from three to beat Kentucky, but I think they have to be right around 50, and I think they have to uh, not turn the ball over. And if they can get Towns uh, into foul trouble, which he has been pretty prone to do in the last couple of weeks, uh, that could definitely make things interesting. Um, that being said, I think Kentucky is just a good deal more athletic, and I, I think they're going to end up pulling it out, but I, I do think it's going to be a good game. I agree, and I, I think all those points are great. I, I think that, you know, at Notre Dame, like you said, they didn't really have to try any tricks. It was really rebound well, get physical enough. I mean, Cincinnati seemed to to figure out part of the blueprint um, in that second-round game earlier in the tournament. Just, like, just, you know, punched Kentucky right in the mouth. Um, and it seemed that that worked, but the problem was that Cincinnati couldn't put the ball in the basket. Um, where, you know, Notre Dame is different, um, except toward the end of the game, and where Wisconsin will be different, is being able to put that ball in the basket quite a bit. Um, they have the size to, to at least match up well, if not perfectly, with Kentucky. I, I think that if Kaminsky and Decker get rolling, and like you said, if, if uh, Towns gets to foul trouble uh, for Kentucky, I mean, this could be a really, really long afternoon. Um, I know I've seen a couple people say, you know, you've got to see Kentucky live, like in person versus uh, versus on TV. Uh, two completely different experiences. Uh, I believe Mark Titus over at Grantland said that uh, most recently. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, myself seeing them on Saturday because I think 
win or lose, and I'm rooting against them. Don't get me wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see that team in action as I scout them for the uh, for my New York Knicks uh, to see who we end up picking. Yeah, I can imagine they're kind of a different experience because as college basketball fans, I mean, and we both go to a, a, a couple NBA games every year, but I mean, I probably see more college in person and to uh, to see a college team with a bunch of seven footers and near seven footers, like four, three or four or five of them, is that'll be a crazy experience. Like on TV, it probably doesn't do it, do it justice. It's the only one who uh, really stands out that. Um, the big dude on UCI, like you could tell the difference when when he was playing. But I think to really, I'm I'm sure it's right where to really appreciate how physically dominant Kentucky is. You probably do need to see them in person, and and hopefully you're not sitting uh, up in the nosebleed, which I, I know all about from the Final Four. Actually, I get to go <laughs> with a certain client I will leave unnamed. <laughs> So I will be nice and low. <laughs> I'm very happy about this is one of the uh, one of the perks I enjoy. It's, I, I don't have a ton, but they do exist. This is one of them. Yeah, not that I didn't enjoy sitting like 15 rows from the top of the Georgia Dome, but I'm sure that'll be a little nicer. Of course, and, and to be honest, I mean this is only going to ruin basketball for me. The same way being down low at the Rose Bowl last year. Ruined watching football for me. Um, you know, once you... Well, once you're in those sorts of seats, it becomes very hard to convince yourself that you can watch the game elsewhere. I'm so sorry for you. As you should be. <laughs> I pity you so much. No, it, it's, I know. It's going to be a busy week, though. I, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to put in 50 to 60 hours of work in the next five to six days to earn that. But yeah, well, I guess so that's, no, you can go for it, Dan. No, go for it. Uh, say if we're both fairly certain that Kentucky is going to win, I mean, well, reasonably certain, um, assuming it's Kentucky Duke matchup, um, in that final game, um, is there anything that changes for Kentucky? Is Duke just really just not in a position um, to beat them? Because honestly, I, I could I could see this playing out the same way games against Notre Dame did for for Duke and game and uh, the loss against Miami and NC State. It's just if Duke tries to outshoot a team and they try to outshoot a team like Kentucky, I don't know if they're physical enough to stop Kentucky from scoring. Um, at the same time, but you can feel free to disagree, obviously. Um, no, I actually think Notre Dame becomes an interesting uh, proxy for Duke because only, if only because Zach August played the, the game of his life in that in that Kentucky game, so it's, he might not be too much different than what we end up seeing from like a reasonably good Julio for performance. Um, and that's not really a knock on Zach August; he's just you know. Julia Okafor is another level, uh, and August put up like a crazy game. So Okafor can probably replicate that. Um, Duke and Duke and Notre Dame are both really good shooting teams, uh, which might be kind of scary for Kentucky because Notre Dame didn't shoot all that well, and Duke is a little more consistent, I think. Um, that being said, I don't think I don't expect Duke to match the kind of defensive intensity that we saw from Notre Dame because that was a 
a really rare performance from them, and they have very little, like, I don't want, if I'm Coach K, I do not want to see Jason Plum or uh, whatever Plumley this is, Marshall Plumley, uh, matching up against uh, Carl Anthony Towns. I, I don't really want to see Emil Jefferson matching up against too many people. I just don't think they have the inside depth. Um, and Okafor isn't, uh, he's, he's gotten better, and he's good against, like, other pretty net traditional centers, so I don't think you'd have a major problem with uh, Willie Holy Stein, but I, I think that Kentucky just has too many big guys, and they can overwhelm a team that only has, like, one one or two to throw out there. No, I, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think that I think Duke gives them a tight game. I think you're right. Uh, Notre Dame's a great proxy for them. I think it gives them a lot of comparison points. Um, but, but I do see Kentucky winning a game like that. Um, but let's say Wisconsin gets the upset. Um, and again, not really outside of the realm of possibility if Decker and Kaminsky can't really be contained. Um, what, what does Wisconsin do to um, do for you? And, you know, how, how does it really, how does it differ for you than the first matchup between those two games? Um, I think aesthetically it'd probably be a, a more fun matchup, honestly. I think both teams run really, I mean, I know some people think that Wisconsin still stores like 45 points a game. Um, they, they're they not a fast offense, but they're a top 10 efficiency offense, and they, they move the ball faster than they than they have in years past. Uh, and both teams shoot like crazy. Um, so I think the Wisconsin-Duke game uh, could be a really fun one if we if that's what we get. I don't expect it just because Kentucky is just such a, a monster of a team. But I think either way it will be a pretty good matchup, assuming uh, if we're assuming Duke wins, um, which might not be wise considering how this march has gone. But I think that's – I think we'll end up in Kentucky-Duke, and I think it will be – an interesting one, if only for the names. I think people, it'll draw people in, which is nice. Uh, obviously, I think most of us would rather another program win besides uh, Kentucky or Duke. But in terms of the, the strength of college basketball, I think it would do pretty well nationally, and I think it would, you know, draw fans in that might otherwise tune out if it was a, a Michigan State-Wisconsin matchup. I mean, Michigan State-Wisconsin would um... – would be a snooze, and I also think would would definitely turn off a lot of fans, especially a lot of ACC fans who might have might just be completely sick and tired of hearing about the Big Ten, as, as we we can definitely attest to all season. Um, I mean, job aside, if you had a choice, would you watch Michigan State Wisconsin in a national championship game? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd watch it. They're, they're a very, I'd watch UConn Butler. There will never be a worse team. Oh, and I don't mean I will never. Be worst national championship. There will never be a worse college basketball team <laughs> than UConn Butler. <laughs> I, I'm convinced of this. That was the worst thing I've ever watched, and I sat through the entire thing. So, yes, I'll, I'll watch I'll watch whatever matchup comes up. Uh, I'm a college basketball fan, and, and, and I do have to for work. <laughs> I, I have to get paid as well. Uh but, no, I, I wouldn't be, like, overly upset. I just don't think it would be quite as compelling as any of the other combinations. That's fair. Um, and you brought up a great point there about uh, just about the – I think that the casual fans are kind of tuned in. I think this is really a great 
it's a great Final Four for casual fans. I think all four of these teams can pick up a bunch of them. I think Wisconsin picking up the least, um, Duke and Kentucky picking up the most. Um, what kind of factor do you think that uh, having all four fan bases fairly close to Indianapolis, Duke being the furthest away, but everybody else being significantly close within you know, a four- or five-hour drive max um, of Indianapolis, you know, what kind of effect do you think that's going to have on the teams, uh, the players, the fans, and this is going to – could potentially have a little bit of a home crowd feel and maybe have everybody feeling really comfortable um, with their surroundings, unlike what's usually the case at, at these uh, Final Fours? Yeah, I mean, Kentucky's going to be there, so they're going to have the majority um, or the or the – they'll have the, the biggest minority, I guess. Um I, I, if you look at them, they travel everywhere. They're crazy. Uh, Michigan State, I think we were all kind of surprised by how dominant their fan base was in Syracuse fellow camp, um, and they're relatively close, so I think that they will show well. I think Wisconsin will probably – Wisconsin and Duke, I think, will be lesser fan bases than those two, um, if only because Wisconsin, I, I think it's largely probably still a football fan base, and it's not like – like when we when we were in the final four, Michigan fans were everywhere, but they didn't seem like they actually knew what was happening or why they were there. Like they were told to go to a Michigan thing, and it was like, oh, a basketball game going on. I don't think Wisconsin fans are quite like that. Um, I think they'll show well, which I, I just it's tough to compare to Kentucky and Duke. I don't know Duke. I I think either will show up really well or will probably be the fourth out of the four. Um, I remember when they played. Uh, in Philly a couple of years ago, the, one of the rare years where they weren't in the North Carolina for the first round, I think it was the same night uh, that Florida Gulf Coast beat Georgetown, and I only remember that because that was a great night. But I was I had friends telling me that, that were in, at the game that there were just, like, no Duke fans whatsoever. So I don't know how they travel. Maybe they do for the national championship or for the Final Four, but not so much for uh, early round games. But I expect uh, Kentucky to be uh, number one pretty easily. Um, and then from what I heard, Michigan State will probably be the second biggest. And then uh, the other two probably not as much, but I think all four have pretty good following. So I don't think there will be one that's just, like, not represented at all. It's a good call. And I know, you know, a lot of this final fours and, and overall postseason play is rarely dependent on um, – on home fans or road fans, whatever it may be, you know, they're not really dependent on, on in-person fandom um, because of the money associated with and travel and everything else. And I think it's just interesting to see, you know, one um, final form in particular that really could be affected by that, um, even if not to a, to a large, large degree. Um, I think we could definitely see, um, you know, some of that factor in uh, for these teams. Yeah, I mean, if Kentucky Kentucky will have a, a home court advantage out of anyone, um, they just and they're very close. Like it's only, I think it's less than a four-hour drive from Lexington to Indianapolis. So uh, this this definitely worked out pretty well for for Big Blue Nation, uh, and we'll probably all hear about it on the internet because um, they were Florida, they were FSU Twitter before FSU Twitter was FSU Twitter. So <laughs> this is very true. Um... I think FSU Twitter might be a good place to end it, uh, unless you had any other uh, kind of parting thoughts for the, for the spring game or this Final Four before the weekend, Dan. No, I'm excited. Um, 
I haven't. I, I've, I've withstood a long uh, March Madness here. I'm excited to get some warmer temperatures. It's, it's in the 50s with some consistency now up here in New York, which is nice. Uh, hopefully, we'll get to the 60s and 70s soon. I think these will be good basketball games. I'm excited for lacrosse to play again, and hopefully get back on its winning ways. And uh, then we'll, you know, hopefully get some some items of of interest out of this spring game or spring practice or whatever it is. Agreed. I think that would be my biggest uh, point of contention. Is just let's have something happen that, like, I mean, obviously not an injury, but something positive happen um, during this game uh, that, that gives us some uh, some positive fodder to kind of bounce around. Yeah, I mean, if Phil Hunt to come out and look like a total world beater, that'd be, that'd be fine with me. <laughs> I would agree. All right. So uh, thanks for joining, as always, Dan. Much appreciated. Always a pleasure. And uh, for everybody listening, you've been uh, tuning into Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. I'm John. That was Dan. You can rate and review us. And uh, say other nice things or however, like, or I don't even know what other things you can do uh, for podcasts on Blog Talk and on iTunes. Uh, Do those things. Stay positive stuff. It does help us out. And uh, go non-color-oriented orange team in the spring game, um, and I'll be sure to report back on the final four. Go Badgers. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited, featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota, let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harmon International Industries Incorporated.